And we are back for another edition of the Daily Dots. <clears throat> and joined with uh, the Brain Trust, Mr. Chase Taylor. Um, I don't know, pretty uneventful day, I would say. Um, I mean, markets were, of course, up. Like, you know, I don't know if you've been to the show. NASDAQ trying to close above 15,000 here for the first time since uh, 2021. Yeah, I think I don't think yeah, I don't think it's been above or maybe a little bit at the end of last year. Um you know, I it, it, it's really hard to look at all of these things and not say massive breakout. Oh, for sure. You know, having said that though, you feel I feel like I'm watching a dynamic especially in the Nasdaq right now where I feel like every day especially one of the magnificent 7 is trying to make a new breakout. And it's like they try, you know, maybe for a couple of days or whatever, and then it kind of loses a little steam and fails back down. Uh, like Apple at the $200 mark a lot, NVIDIA at the $500 mark. Um, although I will say this too, whenever I've noticed, whenever I've seen that in the past, I've seen it lead to higher prices. But uh, still, I'm just still, I got to be honest with you, man. Yeah, we had another day where, where the Mag 7 kind of, bringing up the rear here um i mean stuff like small caps and even arc and the dow like pretty much everything's outperforming max seven again so and it and it's still kind of showing some of the effects maybe of the rebound because the rebound the re- rebalance actually added to tesla even though it took away from the rest so that kind of explains why tesla's been a beast and um, the rest of the, the top seven have not. You mean why Tesla does not care about anything company or economically related that massively impacts it? Never has. No. I Never. mean, but especially right now, like the growth story is evaporating before your eyes. The competition's coming in. The margins have evaporated. And everybody acts as if it doesn't impact the stock price. It just I, – I still – is it frustrating? Yes. It is still also as somebody that spent the vast majority of their career, you know, dedicated to markets and everything. There's still a part of me that's watching this with amazement and wonderment, like a child, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, this is unbelievable. Like, I just didn't think everybody goes, you know, markets can be irrational longer than you can be solvent. I just didn't think that we'd ever get to a day where you see companies materially worth real time, worth less money. And the market's like, nope, going the other way. Yeah. You know, where it's like, you're like, well, that's because the market's looking where we're going. You're like, oh, good God, if you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you. Yeah, that's why I saw 08 coming and et cetera. Yeah, that's why it was up 13% uh, in the month of January 2020. Right. Yeah, it can, it can look ahead. It can't even cease. <laughs> you know, whatever. I think it gets it gets some sector rotations right ahead of time, things like that sometimes. But um, Yeah, it's, it's – well, the markets are efficient. Yeah. Yeah, I still laugh when I hear people asserting that. Um, Cliff Asnes wrote a paper about that recently, actually, that was really interesting where Cliff said that he used to be much more an efficient markets person. And he pointed to several data points where he said, I think it's really hard to make an argument that markets are not getting increasingly less efficient and markedly so. Yeah. I mean, that's, and I, and I really think that the passive thing just, just makes them that much more inefficient through, through time. But I mean, to me that, that up until a point should just do nothing other than create opportunities. Uh, you reach a point where you, you do quite the opposite. I mean, Jack Bogle himself, like he, he warned, like if you let this thing run away and get too big, like it becomes a, a systemic threat. So NASDAQ just hit 15,000. Boom. Put on there your 15,000 hats. 1501. Now we're over it. Um, 
Uh, the dollar down uh, pretty decent again today. That, that was kind of notable uh, to me. We're we're kind of dancing on the uptrend here. So if that keeps going, um, a lot of things can get interesting. A lot of a lot of uh, foreign country equity markets starting to look real juicy breaking out. So if you don't love the Mag Seven, there are going to be some other bull markets in twenty twenty four if the dollar keeps doing this. Ones that ones that make sense and have some decent valuations. Places like Brazil. Yeah, I don't know how, um, and I think that's the other thing. I, well, another interesting note point, and and just the other indexes are up right around the same guys. Dow's finishing up point six eight, S and P up another point five nine. S and P is the only one not at a new all time. Well, no, Nasdaq is still what a couple percent below its all time high. S and P is a percent, percent and a half below its all time high. Yeah, S and P is only about eleven points below. That's it, just yeah. eleven points, so yeah. a fraction of a percent. Yeah, we can we can do it tomorrow. Excuse I, me, no, I'm sorry, my my number's wrong there. It we have to go to past like four forty. I thought it got to forty eight fifty. We got to go to like forty eight twenty five. Okay, you're right there. And we're at forty seven sixty eight. So I it's I struggle to understand. I yeah. Uh, it's really amazing to me. So something something we talked about a few months ago was the whole uh, black horse, you know, bringing in the lag reaper thing, and then the black horse went back to sleep, right? Meaning oil. Um, and I think I think the the Fed really really over anchored to the fact that they got a giant break by oil prices going down. Well, now all of a sudden oil has kind of moved back higher. It's gone up, uh, you know, a couple of weeks in a row here. If it if it breaks out, like all of a sudden. Last time, you know, the October um, drawdown in stocks, it was, you know, it was a, that was a decent move down. A lot of people got scared towards the end of it. It looked like it was going to do some serious technical damage. And then obviously we got this rip um, starting with the, the QRA day. But I, if oil is going to keep moving higher, that could be the thing that kind of puts, you know, at least a short term uh, stop to what's going on in the markets. And no one's talking about it. No one's paying attention to it. No one's buying it. Uh, so oil is, to me, is very interesting where we're at. We we were, I think another thing to point out, um, and if you're a fundamental investor, if you're listening to this podcast, you most likely are fundamentally geared to some, to some degree. Um, and if you're frustrated, I get it. I am too. Um, it's just hard to operate in a market that is completely untethered from financials. But one thing that I think that you've got to look at is that it is tethered to something. Um, and it is tethered to something fundamental, which is, it's remarkable that chart you pulled up today that shows how the market has traded so consistently since the end of 0809 with M2 expansion, right? So, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, and they're different metrics. You got to look at them a different way. But I, I feel like when you see governments running massive deficits, M2 is expanding. Right. Like I'm sure there's an I'm sure there's an instance out there where that's not the case. But I generally speaking, especially for our economy, uh, M2 is rapidly expanding when the government is hemorrhaging money. And 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 we've we, you and I have been saying for a while that the only real question to our recession call. And. Personally. I mean, I don't know, I I. I probably shouldn't even say this before I really look at the numbers and crunch some math. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think a recession call incorporates backing up of earnings or stock markets getting drilled. I could see in this environment 
where the government is spending this much money, how you avoid a technical recession, but you know, maybe you feel like it in the stock market, you feel like it in earnings. And we saw an earnings recession without a technical recession back in 15, 16 ish. And again. Yeah. So, and, and again, yeah, we, yeah. Just now. Oh, we've got two consecutive quarters of declining earnings. I think this would be the, f- this, we had, I think, yeah. So we, Q1 and Q2 of this year definitely were negative. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it's just remarkable to see. I just will continue to say when you add this year up, if you even took away, if you even normal, if you just looked at the market in terms of its nominal performance, the companies, right? Not the stock market. And you just said, okay, let's, let's normalize inflation and all that kind of stuff. This is an incredible market move. Even, even looking at that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know what I mean? You don't even have to factor in the inflation to make it amazing. But then you factor in the inflation numbers. Then you factor in higher interest rates. I just – like I was telling somebody last night. I was like, look, I feel like we got about 85 to 90% of the macro picture right going into this year. I think we were a little bit – I was more so than you were about it starting things to decelerate faster and sooner. But basically, we were like you know, higher, higher interest rates, right? Uh, uh, continued slowdowns, seeing growth on a lot of these growth names continue to come down. Uh, all those things happened. NASDAQ up uh, 48%, approaching 50% on the year, which it'll I'm, I'm, it'll probably be a 50% plus year for the NASDAQ, and the S&P up almost 25. Which is exactly what nobody called for going into the year. That's for sure. No, no. Well, yeah, but, but it's not like, you know, usually in the past, it's because you get head faked, right? Like nobody was calling for it. We didn't actually go into recession. Okay, so you're like, okay. Yeah, the bottom didn't fall out, but yeah, usually that, it's not like usually it's not like well, you didn't go into recession, so the Nasdaq's up fifty. Yeah, and and, and even when you started rolling back all your uh, aggressive earnings, you know, estimates for next year, it just kept going anyway. It Stuff just doesn't care. Out. Yeah, I, I, the the monetary policy pivot. I mean, it did it did a lot. And this this market right now is so much more expensive than it was at the height of twenty twenty one. When you factor in the discount rates and you factor in earnings trajectories and growth rates and all that kind of stuff, even margins, it's so much more expensive. I mean, you're you're basically sitting at the same levels. You put all three indexes on. You're at the same levels of the peak in 2021, right? With with people like, well, the economy's boomed a lot. What's happened to inflation since then, too, guys? Right? Like, it's just crazy. It's just crazy to look. So the only the only flip side, I, I think you can you can you can really have is to just say on, you know, this is actually one of the longest, this is the fifth longest drawdown as far as how long it's taken since 1950. So we've gone, you know, pretty long time without an all time high. And on like a two year look back, we're roughly flat. And the NASDAQ's, I think the, the worst performer include when you include S and P and equal weight S and P NASDAQ's actually the dog of them on like a two year look back. So, no, but it's what you're comping to. No, I, I get it. I'm just trying to put a, a a slightly different view of it forward. That so we, we we've actually talked about this a million times. We agree that on a one year look back, this makes no sense. On a two year look back, it kind of makes sense. I it makes more. I guess you could say <laughs> no, no. But I'm just saying. I like, think the market being flat in the last two years makes perfect sense to me. So maybe we just do. We maybe we disagree there more than I realized. I, well, I mean, you're more of a chart guy. I'm more of a fundamental guy. I, when you look at the underlying performance of the companies and the discount rate over that period of time, I, I just, I can't, like, I can't get I just. But the discount rate's a fairy tale because they don't pay it. 
Well, yeah, but government treasuries do. Well, yeah, that just is interesting. Come for rich people. <laughs> That's MMT for for or, uh, what's it called for rich people? Uh, Not when it's double the earnings yield of the index you're talking about. Well, you would think that would have done. Well, I mean, I would I would say you would think that would have taken more money out, but but it honestly did. Like their money money market I mean, funds have. Here's another big, here's here's another big difference to just to get to your point of why I don't think it makes sense. Um, when you were do when you were making that decision in 2021. You had a 0% Fed funds rate, right? So the earnings yield was exponentially higher yeah, than yeah. this free rate. Okay, now it's literally the inverse and stocks are like, yeah, we don't care. Right, it, gets, it just like, it, and people are like, Zach, we're tired of hearing you talk about it. I get it, I get it. But I'm just saying, I, I don't think people really fully understand how perverse that is, financially speaking. Meaning we, 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 all asset prices by definition are comps, Right. It's what is the word I'm I'm blanking right now. They're all not subjective, but they're they're all it's it's all um, it's like wealth, right? It's all comparable. Uh, I, I can't think. I got holiday head. And we're not even there yet. Fungible is the word. You're no, not fungible. But they're they're all interdependent. Meaning, like you can't define a number does not connotate wealth. It's that number comp, compared to other numbers, right? It's all. Relative. Relative. It's a yeah. wow. Relative. Jeez. <laughs> That's not even a $10 word. Haven't hit the fruitcake yet. Good God. No, but when you consider all wealth is relative, the most commonly used risk-free asset goes from paying two to five. And that doesn't change anything. Right? That's what the market is effectively saying. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of growth since then. You're like, a comp that to the inflation, guys. That's not – that, that the answer's not there. It's just that valuation part. And But here but here goes to the point that, that, that we were making before anybody sits there and goes, oh, Zach's always – look, the one part of this, like I was saying, where I do think that there is fundamental backing is for the same reason that you and I have said over and over, the one thing that is flying the ointment to the recession call is the amount of government spending. And I don't think people really have a grasp on that. We were looking at it today. And I look, we've been saying that. I still didn't really have my hands firmly around how much it was until we actually took the time and looked at it today. Government spending, federal spending in 2019 was $4.45 trillion. This year, it's $6.21 trillion. That's almost a 40% increase in four years. And that's without the crazy one-off like COVID programs and stuff because yeah. we didn't have any of those this year. No, no, there's some legacy stuff, sure, but like no like new crazy ones. Yeah, that's that's just that's just not that, that's just this year maintenance spending. That's not even any special action, right? And so one of the things I've said over and over is I don't think the consumer. I think it's ridiculous to assume that the consumer can perform at the level that they were. I still contend that that's true, especially on an inflation-adjusted basis. However, when you think about that, I, I mean, that's that that amount of increase in spending alone is about three times the amount of the total economic contraction during the financial crisis. The wor- the worst crisis in all of our lifetimes. When you look at that, when but, you but look, we've had at a lot of inflation between now and then. So, like, yeah, the but, numerator's changed. Yes, the numerator has changed, but the we, denominator. But, but the other thing about U.S. government spending, and this applies to most countries, but certainly ours, is 
You know what's going to be higher next year? Government spending. Yeah. You know, you know what's going to be higher a year after that? Yep. Yeah, right? It's just going to keep going. And so you start realizing that especially if the economy slows down, right, and tax receipts dip down, that deficit just keeps becoming a bigger and bigger percentage of the economy, right? Which this gets back to our point earlier. Again, I don't want to be – I think things get so hyperbolic, right? Like for instance, you can have long-standing pernicious inflation and have it not be hyperinflation and not be Zimbabwe, Right? I'm beginning to think if we don't receive recession this next year, that that's what the market's sniffing out. And and that's the chart that we were looking at. It's basically, the, the nominal growth bros like get get their rebound. Like, sure, we, we go from eight back to five, but then we bounce back up to seven or something. Yeah. It's starting like at the moment is feeling possible to me. And I've been like making fun of the nominal recession people saying, look, we're going back to like four on that. Like, well, cal- calm down. Well, and just sit back and play with it. You can just even sure. do it on a pen and pen, right? Like, you're at this crazy level of government spending on every metric, right? It is only going to increase if the economy falters. It's increasing every year, no matter what. So by definition, every single year, the growth in government spending becomes a bigger and bigger percentage of the economy. No, no, I'm just saying it does, right? I mean, baseline accounting, government spending is going up like clockwork. It's going to go up, but that doesn't, that doesn't have to mean that it's going to be go up as a percentage of the economy. If the economy's growing, okay. Well, okay. I mean, what kind of growth rate are we expect? I mean, on an inflation adjusted basis, what kind of growth rate are we expecting here? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like saying that's wrong because I think just looking at the baked in entitlement stuff, like it's going to go. Obviously, that stuff's going higher, but I think we've allowed, you know, we we allowed the deficit to government spending as a percent of GDP to to notch itself up above normal. And I, I don't think it's crazy to see that come back in line some. Obviously, a ton of it is going to have to do with no, next November, but more more congressional elections than than presidential. But I, yeah, I, I just I have a hard time seeing that happen because I think that I think that, um, and I I can't prove this, but I think that the gov I think that the economy is becoming increasingly reliant on ever higher government spending. I think the stock market certainly is. Maybe we should delineate between the two. I think the stock no, market. No, no, I, th- I think. I think the economy is, but I think it always has been. I mean, it's it's just you know the, we kept the the deficit relatively in check until 2020, and then just <laughs> and then yeah, it, it went it went nuts. I mean, I mean, obviously we had. I, I take that back. It, it, it started. We did. It, we did I take it, it back because it started under Trump with very pro cyclical high deficit stuff that was like it, it was sort of like breaking the the unwritten rules of like that you don't do that and then and then we did that and for the first time growth and inflation got a little warm the first time in like 20 25 years that where you had some actual like growth and inflation kind of popping up yeah petered out but but like i thought i don't think people remember how like warm some of that stuff got in 2018 you, you go back and look at a lot of economic indicators, actual inflation and stuff like it. There was a period where it got pretty warm in eighteen. We just took it up to a whole new level, obviously, with um, the pandemic and post-pandemic. Yeah, but and we, my, and we haven't let it go back. But my whole point is saying, like, look, I, I think we all know that the stock market at this point, and, and the U.S. stock market in particular, 
I think is the greatest receptacle to excess money supply. Yeah, 100%. And it's super important to remember, super important to remember that the Fed doesn't really doesn't print money. So like quantitative easing, not actually printing money. They're not creating new money. But what is, is government spending? Every, every deficit dollar, that is literally new money. So that is money printing. And the, the same uh, goes for like things like bank credit, like credit in general. Credit is literally money printing and so is is the deficit. So you want to talk about adding money, um, that's where you're, that's where money printing is going to come from. Yeah. Everything the Fed's doing is sterilized. Like you're not really sterilizing the deficit. Well, I mean, that's the way – well, this, this – Which is why it's so powerful. Beg, well, yeah, but this – well, it begs an interesting question when you get both going at the same time, which I, I, I would submit that – um, you can do one without the other for a, well, you, you, you can do, uh, well, we're, we're doing it now. Yeah. You can do one without the other for a while, but not for very long. Right. We have a 7% deficit now. Uh, we're not printing money or the feds, you know, not buying out there buying treasuries. They're actually letting them roll off. Well, I know. But, and but again, is, but you can't do it. where long. you can get to a philosophical point was where you sit there and go, well, fed spending QE is not actual money printing. Well, no, but it enables money printing. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Hundred percent. Like because all the Fed, when the Fed is when the Fed is purchasing assets, all they're doing is buoying the price of assets that, if left to natural flows, would be going down in price right. and up. I mean, we've we've seen some you know, at least wobbly auctions this year, um, and clearly the Treasury got afraid of putting out too much duration this year. So that, I mean that that kind of shows it to you. So I, th- I think within three years, without any sort of. Uh, if we just kept running seven, eight percent of GDP deficits, and the Fed didn't buy any treasuries for the next three years, I, I think you would have a failed auction within that three years. You know what I think is a good analogy, and I and, and it could be a little hyperbolic, could be a little late stage. I think a good analogy is this: I, th- I think that you've been running this thing, you've been running this engine. I, I use a lot of engine analogies. I'm not sure why. Uh, you run this engine on enough nitroglycerin for a while, and I feel like they continue to pour the nitroglycerin in. They're not doing it as much. They're still pouring it in. I think the engine's smoking, right? Hey, maybe, and maybe it's got several thousand miles. Maybe it's got several races left in her. It just feels like to me the engine's smoking. I thought we were going trains there, so I was picturing the wrong thing. Trains, planes, and automobiles. That's more holiday head right there. <laughs> Speaking of which, I got to watch that this year. That's a, that's a classic in my opinion. Those aren't pillows. Uh, <laughs> it's an inappropriate joke. Anyway, um, <clears throat> No, but, but, but I, I just, I, I think that, um, I, you know, predicting where that money go. I mean, obviously the queues are the favorite parking spot for, have been for a while, but, uh, I, I just, you start looking at what, you know, for instance, let, let's say government spending increases by, let's say 5% next year. Okay. Coming off 6.21 trillion, that's another 300, 350 billion increase in spending. That just overrides a lot of economic weakness as far as asset prices are concerned. Yeah, you could look, I don't I think mean, it's, it's demand. It's demand that, that finds its way into the economy. Yeah, you got a hole. Yeah, you got a hole in the boat right now, but you got a, you got a bigger pump. You got a more powerful pump pumping it out. It's pump, it seems to be pumping it out faster than it's coming in at this point right now. And I think for that matter, I will sit there and say, nothing would surprise me because all of the, all the stuff that we've been talking about, the economic weakness, the issues with rates, 
All of that's still in play. But when you look at the liquidity issue, the financial conditions issue, sentiment, all that kind of stuff, I'm going to say it again. I actually died. I, I, I think you got to push any recession call back further. I, I know you're yeah. on the same page. Yeah, 100%. I don't see it happen at any point in the I, next month. I, I don't even think I'm going to use the word. Part. I don't even think I'm going to use the word in Q1. I'm just going to say late cycle because I still think we're late cycle. But the I mean, the recession itself, it and and it's it would take something like an oil spike or the the only naturally like occurring thing that's going to do it at this point is going to be in to to beat the dead horse construction stuff. And I mean, housing starts are pretty solid today. I, I just, you're, you're at least, you've, you're at least buying yourself, I think two, three months whenever you let asset prices rip. I mean, yeah. And I think this is something you've been definitely more right than me on is like the power of, of just stock prices to like truly like feedback into the real economy um, in a powerful way. And I, I think you already see it in the data. And I think, the lag from financial conditions hasn't even really, really hit yet. So uh, I think there's a good chance, you know, January economic data is, is very, very healthy to, well, here, to the here, point where it probably starts freaking the Fed out. Here's another example. You were getting hardship withdrawals out of 401ks that we hadn't seen since the financial crisis, right? It's the bifurcation part, though, is like we still have that kind of thing and we still, you know, we still have. No, no you do. But what I'm saying is. With the pop you got in asset prices, a lot of those people's loans got paid back this year just yeah. off capital appreciation. 100%. Yep. Right? And so it just keeps feeding itself. And the Fed will not pull on liquidity. I don't care what they say. They've raised interest rates. So, they have not pulled back on liquidity. Speaking of that, so we've talked a little bit about the reverse repo facility. When that thing goes dry and as it draws down, it adds liquidity um, and has added a ton in the last couple of months. So like, there's a lot of bears, you know, perma bear types. That, oh, that's just the favorite thing they're all talking. Hey, about. when it's when it's done, we're in big trouble, right? They're gonna put it, but they're gonna fill it back up. Well, that what I suspect happens that basically the day they're done with the reverse repo, when it goes down to close enough to zero, that's when they'll stop doing QT. Even if it makes no sense to stop doing QT, they'll probably stop. Or you know, maybe a month later, like maybe you let a little with liquidity withdraw, but like. Yes, they they understand that if they let RRP go dry and they keep doing QT, like they will invite problems. And, and that's, they're not going to let that happen. Look, and that's the part of it that you and I were talking about. That that look, and they, they should. Can, yeah, look, they can pivot at any time. Okay, they can change. But when you see Powell already out there talking about rate cuts, it should tell you they have not changed. Yeah, it's fair. They should. They have not changed. And until you see a behavioral change. This is the issue I have with the perma bear. People are like, Zach, you're always the one. Yeah, guys, it's still incredible because what the Fed does, it's still incredible that market participants to me are this price and value agnostic. But as I've said over and over, it does not mean a crash is right around the corner. And for that matter, I think there's hard economic times and hard markets in front of us. But you and I have said repeatedly, all this talk about there's going to be a crash that rivals 29. No, there's not. They're going to paper over it. They will keep pushing that button until they can't, right? And, and you know, until you see them, you know, you, you've still got unemployment at 3.7 and he's already talking about rate cuts. You're, like, I, I think that tells you all you need to know. Right. Which is until we see a sign that they're really going to be that adult in the room, you just have to assume they're not. I will say I do think if you know if if inflation picks back up they will they'll they will try to squeeze this put put this genie back in the bottle you'll you'll see those rate cuts have to go from March and slide back into the back half of the year which should come with 
a reaction from the market, you know, I, and he's going to have to change his communication um, in a pretty ugly way. I, I think, I think three months, three months from now, he sounds a lot different. Another interesting thing I don't want to bring up, another historic thing is we've got a record, uh, a new record divergence in the price of the NASDAQ, or is it just the Qs in relationship to IWM, the Russell? Yeah. I mean, coming back down, but like it was by far the the highest, you know, on a relative basis in history. Now, and I think it's important to bring this up because, you know, obviously saying it for our clients, but everybody else out there who's value minded or whatever, first of all, there's a lot of good value stuff that has had a good year this year. It seemed to be a lot of the stuff that we weren't focused in. Um, but having said that, this kind of goes to, you know, when you see a move like this, I think the temptation for everybody, professional managers, retail investors, whatever, is to finally capitulate and jump on that train. You're reaching a place, I think, where, where again, the, the price differential just recently, it's like you said, it's pulled back a little bit. But the differential between the Qs and IWM has never been wider. Right. So this kind of goes to what you and I were saying, which is, hey, if you think there's no recession coming, then that's awesome. But I will. Oh, and I don't want to say guarantee. But if you do, if you think if you think there's a there isn't a recession coming, I will tell you the cues are not going to be the best place to be next year. Yeah, no, no doubt. Right. Because because it's got to play catch up. Unlike the cues, you could argue that the IWM was pricing a recession or, or at least at least something close. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I just think that you've got it like that stuff. And this is this, honestly, this is why people get beat up in markets, right? When they finally capitulate and they go, okay, maybe there's not going to be a recession. It's like they reverse everything and you go, no, 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 don't jump into the thing that let it jump into the thing that hasn't yet. Right. 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 That, that reflects that. And so I'll continue to say, and that's one of the reasons why our portfolio is constructed the way it was. And you can see the relative performance improving substantially over the last two or three weeks, you know, and that performance, watching that play a little bit of catch up is another reason that leads me to believe financial conditions being looser. This market ran like this. I, it's just hard for me now to envision a recession in the first quarter of this next year. Yeah, I think fourth and, and first at this point. Speaking of the, the fourth now, the GDP now cast is at 2.7. And we're, I mean, we're in the last month. Of so the, it's accelerating again. Yeah, and we're in the last month of the year. So at, pretty clear we're not having, we won't start one in Q4. I mean, we, ha- we haven't had any job losses. So, it's, I mean, it's already clear to me. but. um in, in Q1, I, I would I would think is being removed from the table at the moment. Now, can you still have can you still have things get super bad at some point, like you know, two three months in? Sh- sure, um, but that would probably be I, I think as a prerequisite to that would be um, actually basically just one thing: oil, oil prices really getting after it. You know, yeah. Well, and I just and and leave you guys like you know this is one of the tough things about this is <clears throat> you know if you're frustrated. I get, like I said, I get it. I am too, especially on the valuation side, because it's just ridiculous, regardless if there's a recession or not. It just is not reflective of underlying value whatsoever or underlying growth traits or trends or anything. Having said that, you can, like I was saying, you cannot forget how powerful that wave of government spending is. You know, just think about that. 1.7, over 1.7 trillion in increased spending just in the last four years. You know, so a bad recession. You know, a bad recession, if it's if you had a recession that was the equivalent of 0809, it would it would it would contract spending by a trillion dollars. Well, the government's running one point seven trillion. And like I was saying, next year alone, that number will increase by between three to four hundred billion. 
right? So even if you got that horrible shock recession, just two years of increased government spending would make up for like 70% of that contraction. You know, that that's how crazy the numbers have gotten. Yeah. Right. So I just, um, you know, and you're looking at the economy and going, it's weak. I, I get it. And that's where you're going to get this weird kind of bifurcated environment that frankly you have right now, right? Which is you look at the stock market and you're scratching your head because you, I mean, you don't even have to really dig that deep. Why are the companies in the stock market? They're not. Apple's hitting a new all-time high after its worst four-quarter run in history. And it's reached a new all-time high valuation, right? It's not. Like, I get it, but the funnel, right? Usually, it's economic growth that's dumping capital into a market, right? This time, it's not that, but it's the government, and they're dumping a lot still. Yeah, it's structural. I mean, the the stuff that they can't really do anything about without massive game-changing legislation just gets more expensive every year. And I think this is one of the hard things for people to to realize. Remember, what is the definition of a recession? It is dollars, right? The dollar amount that the recession or that the economy is measured in, right? Looking at that growth rate or lack of growth rate or whatever, and then then applying inflation to that number, whether it's negative or positive, right? So you need to see a contraction in that those amount of dollars. That's the definition of a recession, right? Well, you could have a recession, and if government spending goes up by enough, it swamps it out. Doesn't yeah. mean it won't feel like a recession to people in the private sector, but by definition, it won't just because there's more money has come in than has come out. I mean, we, we clearly learned that one in 2020. Like you, yeah. you can you can kill a recession real fast with enough fiscal. Yeah. Anyway, we've gone over again, but that's uh, we'll try to we'll try to try to keep her contained here. You, <laughs> hey, and by the way, by all means, if you hit the 15 to 18 minute mark and you're like, well, we've had enough, you can just shut us off. <laughs> anyway, anything coming up the rest of the week that we need to be aware of? Uh, nothing I can. I'm tracking. There's a little more uh, housing data tomorrow and conference board, which would be that 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 would be a little bit interesting. But that's about it. All righty. Well, thank you for listening. Join us again tomorrow. We will be back. As always, you're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor.